What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, I want you to uh, keep your place in Psalm 22. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. It's one thing as Christians to give a mental assent to the fact that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again on the three days. Like, to be a Christian, you have to believe that mentally, but it's a whole other thing for us to actually live like that. And so a question is, man, how does the resurrection affect my daily life? Guys, this is the big day. This is our Super Bowl This is like it for us as Christians. But how does it affect our life? What difference does that make? Do I live as if I've won? The victory is assured. When you look at that problem, when you look at that trial, when you look at whatever you're facing, do you live as if you've already won? Do I talk like I've already won? Am I, am, I, am I a Debbie Downer that's like negative all the time? Complaining, Chris? Do all things without complaining, Philippians 4.13. Philippians 2.14. So I could do all things through Christ, forgive me. Do I talk like that? Do I, do I, do I, do I speak to people in situation that, that, that may be, man, things are bad, things are going on. Hey, listen, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. And I want to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. But listen, he's alive. He's alive. And he's living inside of you. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If he is for you, who or what can be against you, right? Do we talk to one another as if the resurrection has happened? Sometimes I want to just grab people. And sometimes I need people to grab me. Remember that time, Ken, we met? I was a little Debbie Downcast in the, in the meeting. And Ken's like, word, word, word. Pray for me. Sometimes I can't get out of my own way. And that's the key to life is to get out of the way and let, and, let, and let Jesus do it. So do we walk like we've won? Do we talk like we've won? Do we give like we've won? Do we take steps of faith like we have won? Now, you should, on your seat, if it was put there, I hope it was, Does everybody have the bow down flyer? Everybody has it? Okay. So, listen, our church believes, like not only do we believe that Jesus won, we're actually trying to live like he won. Uh, We bought an old funeral home, and Jeremy, if you could just throw T-Hop up there for me. I know you got the picture somewhere. We bought an old funeral home on Tamron, 5,000 square foot, where that's where things went to die. And this funeral home was abandoned. It sat empty for years and years where homeless and drugs and crack and prostitution. And, and it was just a, a, bad, a bad place. So we stepped out in faith and we purchased it. Why? Because we believe we won. We believe in the resurrection of life. And it's become, it's going to go from a funeral home to a house of resurrection where there's going to be a 24-7 house of prayer right there, where people used to go to buy drugs, where people used to go to get high. There's going to be another type of high that they can get because we believe not in the house of death, but in the house of life because we follow Jesus. He's the resurrection and the life. We just don't talk that. We walk that. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do the same. You see that picture, by the way? Those are needs. So you can sign up, and you can paint, and you can clean up, and you can live and give like you believe it's going to someday look like that. And that's what this thing of faith is, guys. Mark 9.30, Jesus 
He talked like he won. Mark 9.30. They went on from there and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered to the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days he will rise. Jesus spoke out what was going to happen before it happened. He lived as if he had won. I want you to turn to John 11, please. John 11. Not only did he speak like he was one, he also, when he encountered others, he encouraged them to believe that he was who he said he was. John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, and Jesus said to her, I am the what? Resurrection and the life. Whoever, John eleven twenty five. whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus came into a situation and he was filled with compassion. He was weeping over the loss of his friend Lazarus. He was weeping over the fact that Mary and Martha, they were broken. And they're like, Jesus, if you would have just came, but... Jesus comes into that with compassion, with love, but then he just says, hey, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you realize who I am? Do you know who I am? I am the one that can speak to something that is dead and say, come on out. Think about your situation. Some of you have been caught out of the grave, but you're still wrapped up in those grave clothes off. And, and you need Jesus. we need the body of Christ to help you get those grave clothes off. You are, you are in the resurrection and the life. You are born again. You are his. He has won. He's done it for you. And Jesus, he talked like he'd won. When he encountered people, he challenged other people to live as if he had won by saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. And not only... Did Christ believe that himself? He lived like it in Psalm 22. So let's go ahead and turn there now. Jeremy, if you could put up the biblical timeline. This is really important as I lay a foundation. There's two things that I want you to get about Psalm 22. Um, some of you are new to the faith in Christ, and maybe you, have, you, know, maybe, maybe you don't know Christ at all. I, I don't know. But listen, this is historical fact here, okay? So David, who wrote Psalm 22, he was alive around 1,000 B.C., 1,000 B.C., and so uh, this is fact, and he wrote Psalm 22. That's really, really important for today because Psalm 22 is a prophecy about Christ on the cross. It's about Christ and his resurrection. Now, you see the green here where it says Septuagint. Septuagint is this, is that the, 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 the Greeks who had taken over the world at the time, there was some Hebrews that lived with them, but they said, you know what, it would be a good idea to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And that Greek translation is called the Septuagint. And again, archaeological fact that this was done sometime, I, I blanked that area because it was at least 300 years before Christ Jesus was even born. So again, what you had was written a thousand years before Christ was born. It was translated to Greek 300 years before Christ was born. And that's really, really, really important. You know why? Because there's some haters on the Bible that don't understand the Bible was written over a 1,200-year period by over 40 different authors, and it all goes together. And there's prophecies in it. Do you know there's 2,500 prophecies in the Bible? And 2,000 of them have been fulfilled? 2,000. 2,000. Like, this is a book unlike any other book. It's not like the Quran that has been proven with mistakes. This book has prophecies that have been fulfilled. And this one that we're going to go through, Psalm 22, it has been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. 
And you're going to see so many prophecies here that happened a thousand years later. Now, how can God know the end from the beginning? In fact, he says that I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. How can God predict something a thousand years in advance? Well, the reason why he can do that is because he's not like us. He's outside of time. He's outside of time. And we can't get our little finite minds to grasp and understand that, but he tried to tell us in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, let me let a scientist go ahead and explain it to you real quick. Jeremy. Time, space, and matter is what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence at the same instant. Because if there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, when would you put it? You cannot have time, space, or matter independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. The Bible answers that in ten words. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heaven, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. So you have time, space, matter created, a trinity of trinities there. Just You know, time is past, present, future. Space has length, width, height. Matter has solid, liquid, gas. You have a trinity of trinities created instantaneously. And the God who created them has to be outside of them. If he's limited by time, he's not God. The guy who created this computer is not in the computer. He's not running around in there changing the numbers on the screen, okay? The God who created this universe is outside of the universe. He's above it, beyond it, in it, through it. He's, he's unaffected by it. Um. He knows me. He's outside of time. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. This is why we worship him. But what I want you to get from that is what we're about to read was written a thousand years before it happened. And look, if you walk out of here and you're not like, oh my gosh, I'm willing to to do whatever, Jesus, then I I don't know if you're not listening today. I mean, this is amazing. This is amazing. Psalm 22, 1. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to highlight, my God, my God. This is a reaffirmation. You are my God. You are my God. And then the question, why? How many of us have that question right now? Why? Why, God? Why? Why are you so far from saving me? It continues from the words of my groaning. Oh, my God. You see that faith again? My God, my God. Verse two, I cry by day, but but you're not answering me. And by night, I find no rest. How many of us have been in situations where God didn't answer for a day, for two days, for a week, for two weeks. Some of us have things that we, he still hasn't answered, and it's like, God, where are you? God understands that. You know, it's really, really bad doctrine when people say, don't question God. Listen, <laughs> Jesus said, Abba, Father, Daddy, can I come up on your lap? I don't know why this cancer is in my body. I don't understand it, but I trust you. I'm asking you why? Because you care. Because you care. And it's okay to ask him why. But let me just say this politely. It's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay there. There's people that have been carrying that why for years, 10 years, 20 years. And they're stuck in that. And because God didn't do what they expected him to do, and he didn't show up the way he wanted them to show up, they're still stuck in that why. And listen, this is Christ on the cross He is quoting Psalm 22. He is saying Psalm 22 in the midst of him being on the cross. He is crying out. He's saying why, but guess what? He doesn't stay there. He goes on to verse 3, 4, and 5, but don't go there yet. I got a couple questions. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to, to turn to John 16, 31. And if, if I were you, I would write in my Bible... John 16, 31, above 
Matthew, excuse me, above Psalm 22, 1 and 2. So, John 16, 31 through 33. John 16, 31 through 33. Listen to what Jesus said. Because this, again, is false doctrine in the church that I hear all the time, and we're trying to correct that today. 31, it says, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I want you to put Psalm 22, 1 and 2, right there above your Bible. Psalm 22, 1 and 2. Jesus believed that he was not going to be alone on the cross because the Father was going to be with him. He believed that. He was talking like he won. He was talking like he knew. He was talking about the future like my God is not going to forsake me. Well, then why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let me just submit to you. This is what I believe. I believe Jesus on the cross was preaching the gospel that is listed in Psalm 22, speaking to those people. Hey, this is happening right now in real time. Psalm 22 is happening. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Go back and read it. Go back and read it because you're seeing it right now. He never doubted for a minute that God was with him because he knew his dad. He's the one who told us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. I'm with you always. I am Emmanuel. God is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. If Jesus thought his father left him, Jesus' faith failed, which is why John 16 is really, really important. Verse 32, that means he didn't believe what he told the disciples, and that would have meant that Jesus sinned, and we have a problem. Jesus never sinned. I want you to go back to Psalm 22, and I want you to go down to verse 24. Even in this psalm about the crucifixion, it says these words, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he had cried to, when he cried to him. See, this own psalm says that he hasn't hid his face from him. This is why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because sometimes people just say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then they stop. No, it is a continuation of a thought process. It is a continuation of a lifestyle. And Jesus on the cross didn't say, stuck there. So did God turn his back on Jesus? No. Did Jesus believe God turned his back on him? No, John 16, 32. See, Jesus, he lived and he embraced the cross as if it was already finished, as if he'd already won. I want you to go back to Psalm 22, verse 3, please. It says, you, yet you are holy. That word holy means perfect or set apart or Hallowed be your name. You're, you're like no, no, no one or nothing else. You are holy. You are set apart. And you're enthroned on the praises of Israel. Do you see how fast it goes from the why to worship? You might want to write that down as a question, disciple. How fast do I go from the why to worship? You see here, man, verse 3, it's It's happening. See, it's easy for us to believe when circumstances are going really, really well to worship God and to praise God, but man, imagine the crucifixion, imagine the cross, but yet on the cross, this praise, this, this, this in, enthroned on the praise of Israel is going forth. I'll never forget um, 
Riley, when she was little, she was three years old, my daughter, and she split her chin open and she had to go get stitches. The worst. The worst. She's strapped to this, like, wooden platform. They've got both of her, her arms like this, her legs like this, so she couldn't move. They have her head, like, nailed down. And she's got these, and, and my wife sent me in, by the way, because she didn't want to be associated with this event that was taking place, right? And so I took one for the team. But Riley's looking up at me, tears coming out. These guys are sticking needles into her to numb it. And I, 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 she's crying. She's saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, man. There's nothing worse than for a parent to see their child going through something. But yet I can't fix it. I can't help. And I actually know that this is for your good, Riley. Because once these are healed, you're going to be all better. And see, man, when we go through things like this, guys, it's one thing to know the outcome of, for me, stitches that, hey, it's going to be okay. But some of us, we don't have a good ending on that from our perspective. Like the cancer may... Jesus was on the cross here, guys. And right away, he moved off that why. And he went right into worship. God's character, who you are. Who you are. You are holy. My focus is on you. My gaze is upon you. I trust in you. Let's look at verse 4. It says, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried and they were rescued. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. He is is reminding himself of who God is. God is a deliverer. God is a rescuer. God is the one that saves and we will not be put to shame. And when we truly, truly understand how great our God is, that he is the resurrection and the life. We're not going to get stuck in the why. We'll move quickly. We'll move quickly, but not too quick. How the Spirit leads, but there should be a process for every Christian that you'll move off the why and you'll go into worshiping our God for who he is. And you begin to give back into his word and remember that he is faithful, that he has promises that he will bring to pass. And listen, all things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. All things, right? If, if he is for me, who or what can be against me? God, you're going to work this thing out. And so do I live like there's this expectation and hope even in the down times? Let's go to verse 6 of Psalm 22, please. It says, but I'm a worm and I'm not a man. I'm a worm and not a man. What in the world is that? Well, thanks for asking. We're about to go nerd on the worm. We're about to go into a wormhole, by the way. Um, I want you to highlight that. I want you to put the Hebrew word. It's T-O-L-A, T-O-L-A, tola. And I'm probably saying it wrong, but that's okay. Jeremy, if you could put up the crimson word picture. Uh, there are two different worms in the Hebrew language, and so this word here, twola, is used, and that's a picture of them. It's called the crimson worm. So I'm going to give you some facts about some worms, okay? So put your nerd hat on, but this is really important. Why is it important? Because this was written a 1,000 years ago, and Jesus says, I'm a worm. And it's a specific type of worm that he mentioned. It's this worm. It's this worm. So the first thing about this worm is that this worm climbs on the tree by itself. No one forces it to do so. Nobody forced Jesus on the cross. 
What he did was his own choice. In fact, in John 10, 18, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. He also says in Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I can't appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? What scriptures? Psalm 22, a thousand years ago. How would they be fulfilled? Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus embraced that cross. He chose to do that. He embraced that. Why? Because he loves us. And this worm... When she climbs up on a tree, she knows she's going to die and never come back down. Because she goes up on that tree and she dies and she gives birth to her children. So, this worm, when it goes on the tree to do that, it knows it's never, ever, ever going to come back down alive. And the purpose for it going on the tree is to birth a family to birth a family. Jesus knew when he embraced the cross, we were the joy that was set before him that he embraced the cross and he despised the shame. We were the joy because he wanted himself a family. And this crimson worm does that. When she chooses to attach herself to the tree where she knows she's going to die, she makes a hard crimson shell. And this shell can't be removed without killing her. And the eggs are laid under her body in a protective shell giving protection to the young. And during this birthing process, there's a crimson fluid or gel that covers her entire body. And all of the eggs that are laid, they're stained with this substance for good. Jeremy, if you could put up the picture of the tree, please. This is how the tree looks after she gives birth. What does that look like? It's an old bloody, rugged cross, doesn't it? Like, guys, you can't make this up. It's a thousand years before. And look at Hebrews says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You are stuck in your sins without the shedding of Christ's blood. Man. Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 28, this is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Romans 5, 9 says, we have been made right in God's sight by the precious blood of Christ, and he will certainly save us from God's condemnation or wrath. Hallelujah, Jesus went up on that tree to die, that he spilled his blood so that we could have life. Now listen, this doesn't, the story of the worm doesn't stop here. So these new hatchlings, they feed on the living body of the mother, but the mother dies. The mother gives its life for her offspring. Now picture this. Jesus saying in, Matt, in John chapter 6, 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink, my blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Jesus might have been, might have been just looking back to that crimson worm in Psalm 22. He then, the night of the Last Supper, he broke the bread and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, hey, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. So these worms, they eat the body. They eat the body. Jeremy, next picture, Israel um, news right now, by the way, and it's a prophecy uh, in the end times, there's going to be an abomination that causes desolation, which is spoken of by the prophet Daniel, which means this. There's going to be a temple, a third temple built in Jerusalem. It's going to happen. 
And they're preparing for it now. This is the Temple Institute. And they are harvesting this specific type of worm, extracting the crimson gel. And why? Why are they doing that? Because in the Torah, um, it was commanded by God that the temple curtains that are used in the tabernacle need to be made from this crimson fluid. That the garments of the high priest, and who is our high priest? It is Yeshua. It is Jesus. That the high priest's garments and the ephod would be made partly with this crimson blood. It's mentioned over 25 times in the direction that God gave to Moses for building the tabernacle, meaning the representation of the blood of Jesus Christ is all over the temple of God. It's all over the temple of God. These baby worms, they get covered with this fluid of this dying mother. And then after three days, say three days. Yeah, yeah, I can't make this stuff up. Science, Bible. After three days, The young worms are ready to leave the shell. They leave the shell. They're walking in the resurrection. They're going out to experience life, but they just don't go out to go out. These young worms, they're colored scarlet for the rest of their lives. They're stained in the, in the blood, and that stain and that blood covering, guess what? It protects them from predators. Guys, we're protected because of the blood of Christ from all the assignments of the enemy. Hey, hey, how do we overcome? By the what? Blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony and because we didn't love our what? Lives unto death. Revelation chapter 12. Next picture, Jeremy. After three days, the dead mother loses its crimson color and turns into a white wax. Now, I want you to go down to Psalm 2214, please. Psalm 2214, and you see where it says wax there? I just want you to highlight it because I don't think it's a coincidence. Not only does this mother's body turn into a heart that looks like wax, but Psalm 22, 14 is saying, my heart is like wax within me, speaking of our Messiah. And after this happens, after a few days, it falls to the ground and it becomes white like snow, white like wool. Why is that important? I want you to go ahead and turn to Isaiah 118, please, because I want you to see this. If you're tired of flipping, I'm sorry, you got the rest of the day off. I hope. Isaiah 118. A lot of us have heard this verse before, but I pray you hear it in a new way because everything points to the cross. Everything points to Jesus. It says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins, they're like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, and there's that word, T-O-L-A, the crimson worm, the crimson stain. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What does that look like? Looks like wool. Only God, guys. Only God. Do you know as well, when this crimson worm is crushed, it releases a fragrance and an aroma? And here's what Ephesians 5.2 says. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering as a sacrifice to God. It was a beautiful aroma where Jesus was crushed, crushed for us as a sacrifice to God. As I continue to look at this worm and do 
worm study. I just got sucked in. I had to break away, guys. And we're going to move on, okay? I promise. But two more little things about the worm because it's really cool. Exodus 19 or Exodus 16, 19, and, and just jot it down. You can go there your own time. It says, and Moses said to them, let, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Talking about the manna, you're only supposed to take what's enough for the day. But they didn't listen to Moses. How many can relate? And some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms. What kind of worms? You guessed it. Think about this. Because then it says, and Moses was angry at them. See, the law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Even then, in the disobedience, in the wilderness, that they were being greedy. Mine, 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 mine. I'm going to take more. God, in his grace, has those tola worms come out and represent his blood on that. Woo! Even in the midst of rebellion, God speaks to his grace. It's also the same kind of word in Jonah chapter 4, where Jonah was mad that the Ninevites, they repented because I don't like those people. Jonah was kind of the racist prophet, by the way. He got mad. He didn't want to go there. And then when they repented, he got mad. And then this leaf grows, and a worm comes and eats it. Guess what kind of worm? This kind. This kind. And again, even though, man, we want justice. Man, we, we get angry at things, right? God, in his grace, in his grace, in his grace, reminds us of the blood covenant that was coming. Oh, man. All right, Psalm 22, 7. No more worm stuff, okay? I promise. And again, this, this was written a 1,000 years before Christ died on the cross. Verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And so it's speaking of people mocking, people making fun of. Well, a thousand years later, in Mark 15, 29, it says, And those who passed by Christ on the cross, they derided him. They wagged their heads, saying, Oh, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And so the chief priests and the scribes, they mocked him. They mocked him, saying to one another, He saved others. He can't save himself. Even those that were crucified with him reviled him. And so, a thousand years later, this comes to pass. Let's go to verse 9, Psalm 22. Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. There's only one baby that could say that. It's Jesus. All of us, because of Adam, we were born into sin. That's why scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All sinned because of Adam, but Jesus was the second Adam. He came from the virgin birth. It's what it said a thousand years later, Luke chapter 1, 34. It says, Mary said to the angels, how can this be that I'm going to have a baby because I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high God will overshadow you. And therefore the child will be born and called holy, the son of God. The virgin birth was prophesied right here in Psalm. Chapter 22, because only Jesus, only Jesus trusted God at his mother's breast. Why? Because he was born of the Holy Spirit and not of man. Verse 11, Psalm 22. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. You see the progression. Verse 1 and, verse one and 2, where are you? Where are you? But now it's like, be not far from me. See, it doesn't stop with one and two, guys. He keeps going. He keeps going. There is a progression because he's praying and he's acting and he's living and he's dying as if he's already won. 
Let's not get stuck in the why. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there's none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And again, at the foot of the cross, a thousand years later, people, we already read that, they're mocking him, they're laughing at him. Verse 14, then this is amazing. Psalm 22, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. You want to highlight that there? So in the crucifixion, uh, the Romans would have about a four to five foot hole um, in the ground that was already uh, built. And when they would crucify, Jeremy, go ahead and throw up Jesus being crucified. So they would lay Christ down on the cross flat, and they would nail hands, they would nail feet, but then the soldiers would, would pick him up and drop him into that five-foot hole. Hands are tied, but or hands are nailed, and so what happens is there's a rip and a tear here, but also, also, a lot of times their joints came out. In fact, in the, in the filming of The Passion of the Christ, the actor's joint came out of socket. So here in verse 14, which was written a thousand years before it happened, it says, my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. Remember Jesus, he falls down and they get Simon of Cyrene because his strength, he just, he gave all that he had. Not 110% because that's impossible, but 100%. Thanks for laughing. Because that, people are always like, I gave 100%. You can't give 110%. Anyway, so Jesus, Simon came and helped him because he was just, he gave it all. He gave it all. And then it says, my tongue sticks to my jaws as you lay me in the dust of death. In John 19, 28, Jesus says, I thirst. My tongue is, I'm thirsting, I'm thirsting. My tongue is sticking to my jaw. 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoer, they encircle me. And so, man, this is all happening in real time at the foot of the cross. And they've pierced my hands and my feet. You might want to highlight that. Why is that important? Because the cross wasn't invented in Psalm chapter 22. It wasn't invented a thousand years before Christ. It was invented later on in history, but it wasn't a thing then. And how could it be so specific? Pierce my hands, pierce my feet. This is our God and our King, who is sovereign, who knows the beginning from the end. I want you to jot down, pierce hands and feet. I want you just to write down Zechariah 12.10. Why is that important? Because that's not the only place that was in the Septuagint. Remember, the Hebrew Bible translated into Greek Hundreds of years before Christ was even born, but also Zechariah 12.10, which says this, they're going to look on me, on him whom they have pierced. This is the second Bible prophecy that came true on the cross. It's amazing. 17, I can count on my bones. You're hung up on that cross and you're your bones are, are, are showing, and you can count all your bones. If, if, this, if this isn't the crucifixion to you, I, I don't know what you've been smoking this morning, bro. Counting his bones, they stare, and they gloat. Again, the mocking. You saved, your, you saved others. Save yourself. Come on down, king of the Jews. Verse 18, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You can put Luke 23, 34, because it says this, they cast lots to divide his garments. How in the world, a thousand years before Christ was even born, here scripture is saying that they're going to cast lots for garments. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. 
Oh, you, my help, come quickly for my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. The sword? Yeah. Remember the sword that went into Jesus' side? And when, when, when they checked to see if it was dead, blood and water came out. It says, my precious life from the power of the dog, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me. And I want you to highlight that. Jesus is on the cross. He's going through all this stuff, but he's saying by faith because he believes in the resurrection. He knows he's the resurrection and the life. And the Holy Spirit is speaking here, right? You have rescued me. Do you speak to what you're going through right now as if God has rescued you? Is, 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 is this, see, this is the cross here. This is the cross, and the switch is made. You have rescued me. This is where our faith comes in. Look, it all doesn't depend on our faith, right? I, I love the example uh, where they were praying for Peter to get out of prison. Then he shows up at their, at their door, and, and, and they're like, Peter's here. And they're like, no, no, they're not. No, he's not, right? So, so man, owe me of little faith. But also, there's an aspect where Jesus said, be it too under your faith. If you believe, you're going to move mountains. So, so guys, our faith, our faith, our faith. Listen, if your faith doesn't arise today after listening to Psalm 22, after seeing these miraculous prophecies that were written a thousand years before Christ, if that doesn't change how you live, how you talk, how you worship, how you give, there's something wrong. He is alive. And he will rescue. He has rescued. Past tense. He has rescued me. Even if I'm in prison, he's rescued me. That's how Paul thought because he said, the word, I'm chained right now, but the word of God cannot be chained. I am free right now because you can't hold me down. You can't kill me. You can't destroy me. There's nothing you can do. Whew. That's walking in the resurrection and the life. That's the mentality. And again, easy. Listen, it's easy for me to say that on stage. It's easy when I, I lay hands and somebody gets healed and, oh, my gosh. Ah. It's hard. Because I can't get rid of a stinking flu. And my wife's not here on Easter. And I've been anointing her with oil. And I've been praying and praying and praying and praying. And she's in bed. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Why, God? Why, God? No, let's, let's move to worship. I want you to highlight that in verse 21. You have rescued me. You have rescued me. You have rescued me. There's this faith. And what was the faith in? The faith was in the resurrection. And so let's finish this, this passage out. Verse 22. We've got to worship like we've won despite the circumstances. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Again, context, the cross. This is the context. I will praise you. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised. He is not a whore. He is not the afflicted the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before him, before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. You remember how that worm and the kids ate? The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. And those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. At the end of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. This is believing in the resurrection right here. This is believing not just the cross, but man, what's going to happen after? Verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over everything. I might be on the cross right now, but I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords and I rule over everything. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship before him. <coughs> Shall bow all who go down to the dust. 
even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told to the coming generation that they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Guess what? That's you and me. That's you and me. A thousand years ago, guys, guess what? We weren't born. But guess what? We're in there because of the cross. What are they going to proclaim? He has done it. You might want to put over he has done it. It is finished. Same thing. Whatever problem you're going through, he has done it. It is finished. It's going to work together for good. What was meant for evil, God meant it for good. I want you to turn to Romans 12. I'm going to give you some some practical stuff here to walk away with. Our king has done it. He defeated sin. He defeated the enemy. He crushed the head of Satan on the cross. He took away his authority. That's why Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. That means the enemy has none in your life. He defeated death. He has done it. He has done it. He's the resurrection and the life. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, I plead to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, now think about this. Look up at the picture again. Jesus was a living sacrifice. He was a living sacrifice. He embraced that cross for us. This living sacrifice that we're supposed to live, we're presenting our bodies holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual what? Worship. Again, worship. Do you know the first time worship is used? When Abraham brought Isaac up on the mountain and was going to kill his only son, it was actually a foreshadowing to God the Father killing his only son, but there was a lamb that was provided. But Abraham says this is the first time in the Bible the word worship is used. In context, That was the son of promise he waited for for 25 years. The very thing that was dear to him, the most important thing in his life, that I'm willing to to put this on the altar if God tells me. Talk about worship. We flippantly think worship is just singing songs. Worship is putting 10% in or doing whatever. No, 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 no. Worship is the most important thing. It's yours, God. All that I have, the most dear and near thing, it is on the altar Worship, worship, worship. Let's go to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Please highlight that word transformed. And put above that butterfly. If you want. Or you can put metamorphosis, but butterfly might be easier to spell. The Greek word here is metamorphosis. or It's where we get the word metamorphosis, which is the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. This is an important word, and we'll come back to it. It says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may test By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know it's God's will for you to walk in his perfect will? But a lot of us miss out on that because we don't renew our mind and we're not transformed. We've made decisions. Nope, I'm not going to live as a living sacrifice. Uh, My my worship is going to be on my terms. So here's some questions for you. Number one, have you made a decision personally to live your life as a living sacrifice? And again, what are you talking about, Chris? That's what I'm talking about. 
that no matter what the cost is, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I want to say before God, my life is yours. Even if it hurts, I'm going to live my life as a living sacrifice. This is why uh, Galatians 2.20 is very, very important, where it says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives me. In the life that I live, I live by faith in the one who gave himself up for me. That Greek word and phrase is a passive tense. I have been crucified, meaning 2,000 years ago on the cross, I was crucified with Christ because of my faith in him. But the rest of the book's important because in Galatians chapter 5, I think it's 24, it says those who are in Christ have crucified their flesh. They have crucified their flesh, meaning that is an active verb. I have a choice. Am I going to join the leading of the Holy Spirit to crucify the passions of my flesh? Am I going to be a living sacrifice like my king who says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? I didn't sign up for that one, Chris. I know, today you can. And look, I know you don't want to die, because I don't either. But the biggest trick of the enemy is to get you to think that what you're going to lose is going to hurt so much. It's going to be so hard. The cost is going to be too high. It's not going to be worth it. No, 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 no. Listen, the abundant life comes... When the caterpillar says, I'm going to die so that I can have life. Listen, he's the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. I want you to look at verse 2. So the first question is, have I made a decision to become a living sacrifice? Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. Think about this for a second. Have you renounced the world that we live in? the mindset, the mentality, or are you someone that seeks the kingdom first? Do you seek the kingdom of God first? Like I'm checking out of this world and the world's philosophies and traditions. Lord, I want to be you. I want to be kingdom first. I, wanna, I want not to be conformed to this world any longer. I want to be conformed to your image and your likeness. And guess what? Romans chapter 8, the good news, it says you're predestined to Christ's likeness. The third question is this. You see in verse 2, it says, by the renewal of your mind. You want to highlight that. You can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So is my mind renewal a pattern in my life? And we've got some former 516ers here. I'm sure that they weren't rejoicing in memorizing Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6, right, and Matthew chapter 7, like, uh, it's a grind, especially sometimes, right? But here's the thing, man, if I really, really, really renew my mind around that and live as if it's true, wow, that's going to affect my life so that, what's the outcome of that? So I can discern the will of God, what's good, what's acceptable, and what's perfect. Comes through mind renewal, but a lot of us as believers, we don't do that. So we don't look like a beautiful butterfly. I'm going to give you three things here. So the question is this, how can I be transformed? I'll give you three things. Number one, we see it here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're transformed by the word of God as we renew our mind on the word of God. That's point number one. Point number two is this. We become transformed by beholding. We become transformed by beholding. Well, what do you mean by that, Chris? Thanks for asking. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, when we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. That's that same word. And by the way, this word is only used in three different places. That's why I'm giving you three points. So I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. The second thing is I'm transformed by beholding. What you gaze at, what you look at is what you become. You're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glorious. Yeah. 
Tell them you're glorious. See, it felt weird by saying I'm glorious, didn't it? You know why it felt weird saying I'm glorious? Uh, Because that's false humility. God said that over you. Don't beat yourself up. Believe what he said. You're glorious. I'm glorious. Look at me. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The third thing is this. We get transformed by the presence of God. So the Word, we get transformed by beholding. And number three, we get transformed by the presence of God. See, the third place that this Greek word metamorphosis was used was on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before him. He began to glow. You remember Mo, who went up on the mountain, began to glow? And they had to put a veil over his face, right? We want to be like Mo. We want to have the glow. And so that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, filling us. Let your face, your glory shine upon us, God. We want to be transformed people. We want to go from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Jeremy, go ahead and uh, roll the clip, please. Worship team, come on up, please. Let's go ahead and bow for for prayer. As we just sit before the Lord, that picture of, of the butterfly coming out and beginning to fly, There was a lot of butterflies all flying together. Lord, that is your church. You desire, God, us to to come into the transformed life 
that your blood paid for. And so God, we've all we've all fallen short in so many different ways. Like Peter, we've denied you. We've given into our fear. We haven't wanted to fully surrender. Lord, you know who's here today and why you've brought them. But God, I pray for the glory, the glory that we see in the butterfly, but the, the caterpillar had to, had to die first. So God, I, I just pray, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there are things, God, keeping your people, maybe they're stuck in the why. And you're very lovingly saying, come on out. But Lord, we want to look at your cross and we want to look at your sacrifice and we want to live like that. And we want to worship like we have won because you have won and we are yours. We are covered by your blood. You have declared that we are glorious, that we are radiant without splendor because of your precious blood. And may we, God, may we rest in the victory, the victory that you won on that cross. And the victory, God, of the resurrection as you are the resurrection in the life. Help us to worship you now. Help us to sing to you now. Jesus, you're such a beautiful Savior, a humble King. Thank you for taking our place on the cross. We surrender our lives to you again, afresh and anew today. Help us to walk like you are alive, like you are inside of us. We celebrate the victory. And we celebrate you. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.